0: Max, uh, we're going to pray for him right now. Uh, Can you give us an update on how he's done? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the influence that Coach has had and what Carolyn has had in this community. Uh, we thank you for uh, just their lives. We thank you for Max and the family that's uh, coming up and diligently caring for them. And uh, We just pray for the whole family uh, that they just be reached by your spirit in the midst of all that we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. instructions. I'm going to take a little poll this morning. I'm going to have all the guys stand up for a minute. All the guys. Now, if you're a person who reads the instructions when you order something and you're going to assemble it and put it together, if you're a person who reads the instructions thoroughly before you start attacking the project, go ahead and sit down. Okay. If you're one who, when they get into a dilemma with the project, begin to consult the, pro- the uh, instructions, go ahead and sit down. A uh, few of you are still standing, as well as I am. Um, if you're one who uh, waits until the wife nags about looking at the instructions, go ahead and sit down. Ah. Okay. These are our engineers. They need no instructions. <laughs> as we move through the second and third chapter of uh, Revelations, uh, as the Apostle John wrote uh, the words of Jesus to the several churches that had been started in Asia, um, we, we looked at few, the church at Ephesus last week and we talked about the very, as good as the church was, that they, they had somehow lost their passion for Jesus Christ and they needed to bring that back. Um, I have no passion for instructions, especially when they come from certain people. Uh, Karen's already left the building, so <laughs> I can say this, but... Um, over the last year, I've, I've bought a few things, and, and with it comes in instructions. I, I, I love this one. Um, it you you got to stretch it out like this, but there's only one thing that's usable, and that's the picture in the middle, and it comes in seven different languages. I was able to catch up on my Spanish and my German. I don't know any French or Swedish, but uh, here it is. You know Everything you need to know in, in a picture, but with Every language, uh, letting you know uh, how to put it together. Um, I got one, another one here that uh, I bought an Amazon uh, Fire tablet uh, a few weeks ago. And I love the instructions. That's it. There's, there's a little picture there saying that's the on button. Uh, there's a finger there It says swipe the screen. And... Um, but I didn't know what to do. I had to go to YouTube to figure out how, <laughs> how to launch it. <laughs> but the, my favorite is, well, we bought a car rack, uh, cargo rack for our car that we're going to be driving down uh, the road here in a little bit. And it, it's just, what can I say? It's page after page after page. But there's some things in here that I'm, I'm not sure that are really meant to be. putting the cargo rack together. There's a whole list of danger, warning, caution, and notice signs. Makes you wonder what you're getting into. Um, Always wear ANSI-approved safety goggles while putting this together. I don't know what an ANSI, uh, okay, thank you, Emil. Next time I put something like this together, I'm going to come over and get a pair of ANSI safety goggles, okay? Always wear hearing protection. Is this thing going to make noise? (laughs) Use safety equipment. Safety shoes, hard hat, and work gloves must be used. This is, what am I putting together here, you know? Dress appropriately. I love this one. Dress appropriately. Don't wear loose-fitting clothing. And contain your hair away from the apparatus. Yeah, I'm really worried. Okay. Ah, now this one should be in every list of instructions. Use common sense. <laughs> I rarely see that. Keep spectators and children out of the work area. And don't let children and animals into the cargo rack while driving. Now here's the best one because I think this is talking to me very specifically to me. Depending on the size of the vehicle, if you're too short, you might need a ladder. (laughs) Well, that one does apply. But anyway, instructions. Oh, and this one came with something my daughter sent me. It came from Amazon. You know, they're... Please send a thank you note. Comes with the package. I called her instead. But we're looking at the churches in uh, that Paul started in Asia. It's now we looked at Ephesus last week. We're going to look at two of them today, and we're going to look at the church at Pergamum and the church at Thyatira, and because they have similar similar issues, but Jesus through the Apostle John, starts out by praising them both. To the uh, church of Pergamum, he says, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Evidently, in Pergamum was a place that was just uh, full of uh, satanic issues, um, it was a place where they, many believed that Satan was, was on the throne and in charge of the community. And these people, these Christians, remained true to Jesus' name. And to the church in Thyatira, he writes, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. And even now, you are doing more than you did at first. It's, what they're doing is just growing and, and building. Both of these churches were dealing with some of the same issues uh, in both communities. Nevertheless, to the church at Pergamum, just like he writes to the church at Ephesus and all the other churches in this two chapters, there's some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam and who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, to Thyatira. Apparently, there's somebody in their church who is a false prophet, and um, the church is accepting of this individual, and her teaching is uh, such that She's also leading people to commit adultery, to uh, worship idols, and uh, to eat the food that's worshipped to idols. Her name was Jezebel, and we'll look at that a little bit deeper. First thing I want you to notice is in each of these letters, Jesus is given some kind of description. In the churches of Ephesus, we see Jesus, he's holding uh, seven lampstands. somehow the image that he is the light of the world and that the churches are also spreading his light. Um, To the church of Pergamum, these are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I believe that that is a reference to the Bible, the scriptures, because we understand from Hebrews that uh, the Word of God is uh, like a double-edged sword. And that's what brings me to this whole idea of instructions because the Bible is going to give us some instructions as we look deeper into um, what's going on in these churches. Um, In the description of the churches, uh, as we looked last week at Ephesus, uh, they were praised because they didn't tolerate uh, these kinds of people. Kind of a difference. Um, The church at Ephesus didn't tolerate these people, but they lost their love for Jesus. But now we have people that are tolerating some of this infiltration of satanic stuff, uh, uh, other things that are going on, and they're mixing it in with their Christianity. And so John is writing to them and says, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, perseverance. You're doing more than you did before. To Pergamum, Satan's right in the midst of everything that's going on in your city. Um, As you look closer at these two cities, I, I did a little research, um, Pergamum was a home of a lot of pagan temples. Uh, In fact, if you trace the um, what they call the throne of Satan in the city of Pergamum, uh, you can trace it uh, through archaeology, even into uh, modern times. uh, Some references to it. For many years, it was the provincial Roman capital of Asia. It remained the most important center of the Roman Emperor cult worship. As you know, many felt that uh, Roman emperors were, were God, or a God, or the God. And this started right in the city of Pergamum. Uh, it was the uh, first city in the Tyre Roman Empire to, to actually worship uh, the Emperor and it became a center of pagan worship. And Thyatira was a very prosperous trading town. Certain location on a Roman road, and this city also hold, hosted uh, the cult of the god Apollo, which, if you know Greek mythology, the son of Zeus. Um, we also know of Thyatira from Paul's second missionary journey, um, when he was in Philippi. That uh, he came across Lydia, and um, she was praying. She came to know Jesus and probably went back to Thyatira and probably was very fundamental in starting the church there. So we see some roots all the way back uh, to the time of Jesus, even though it's almost 100 years later now at the time of John's writing. I want to focus a little closer into some of the issues that these two churches have um, In Ephesians, they lost the centrality of their love for Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week quite a bit. But for Thyatira and Pergamum, the Christian church had allowed false teaching into uh, their uh, setting, and they began to compromise with other belief systems. Um, in Ephesus, the church kept a good eye on right teaching. But these two churches did not. They became centers of pagan cults. And the church was falling victim to the various teachings that surround them. Uh, We see some of that uh, today. Uh, If you look at uh, the religion of Santeria down in Latin America, it's a mixture of Christianity and and other religions that came from the people that came into Latin America where they tried to mix Catholicism with their various cults. Uh, religions, and you see that. You also see it uh, quite a bit in Haiti, where voodoo uh, was the the form of uh, religion to many of the locals, and Catholicism was mixed with voodoo, and they tried to teach both things hand in hand. And this is kind of what John is writing about, this mixture of Face this mixture of religions, this mixture of our belief systems with the culture of the world around us, and so he's he's setting up a warning that that uh, it's just not going to be good <laughs> when you. But they were it was insidious, and nevertheless, it came in. Um, the teaching of, of Balaam that was going on in Prigmum, you might remember Balaam from the Old Testament. Uh, he enticed the Israelites uh, to sin so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual morality, immorality. Um, Balaam was hired by Balak, uh, the king of Moab, uh, to curse the Israelites. Uh, that didn't work so well for him because when he tried to do it, it came out of mouth out of his mouth that uh, that were honoring of God. So you got to be careful what you set out to do against the church, I guess. If, or the nation of Israel, as the case was here, that uh, God might use you anyway and say something uh, positive. But that was not his intent. In fact, we know later on when you get to, uh, to numbers uh, in the Old Testament that uh, he continued to undermine the Israelites, and he used idolatry and memorality to tempt them away from God to the tune of about 25,000 people that uh, were caught up in his teachings that were Israelites that had no business going there. Um, the teaching of, of the nicolaitans it's tough to understand what the teaching really was, but John quotes Jesus and says to uh, the church at uh, Pergamum, um, the thing I hate is that you are listening to the teaching of the Nicolaitans I, in trying to understand and, and reading of about what this might be, um, many authors will take you back to Nicholas, who was one of the seven deacons in the chap- second chapter or excuse me, the sixth chapter of uh, Acts, when the deacons were selected uh, to run the church. Uh, the, the the ministry while the apostles continued to devote themselves to Bible study and uh, those types of things. The deacons were set up, but Nicholas was one who was a convert from. Um, something else to Judaism, and then from Judaism to Christianity, and then possibly from Christianity to something else. We really don't know the history of that, but what most uh, of the commentators will say about the teaching is is that similar to his mixture of three different faith groups um, in his, his thinking that uh, the Nicolaitans were teaching the same thing. that. Uh, they were teaching the practice of Christianity and occult paganism, uh, that, that cutting yourself off from one or the other was not essential, that you could do both. And, and John is right. You can't have it both ways. Um, and this seemed to be a, a, a huge problem um, going on in, in both of these cities. Uh, even in Ephesus, as we talked about their church last week, they were worshiping Diana, um, and and a lot of paganism things going on there. And then they mention this lady Jezebel in the church of Thyatira. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Not only has the teaching become a little bit assimilated into the people's belief systems, but now they actually have people, a person in the church who is proclaiming these things. And uh, this is very upsetting uh, to the Lord and very upsetting uh, enough that uh, John makes mention of it. Um, Using the word or the name Jezebel could be a reference to um, Jezebel of the Old Testament. We remember from her that she... Uh, was married to um, the king. Um, can't remember his name right at the moment, but um, she incited him to abandon Jewish religion. Even though he was the king of Israel, he abandoned the worship of Yahweh and to begin to promote the worship of uh, of Baal. And she ordered all of the prophets of Israel to be massacred, and personally organized the execution of one that would not turn over his property to the king. And so she was, she was one who was bringing in this outside um, ideas that they felt that they could mix with their religion. But there were still some that did not compromise. It says in the 24th chapter, of the second uh, 24th verse of the 2nd chapter of Revelations, and I say to the rest of you in to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Apparently, when you start mixing the occult, you start mixing other religions with our Christian faith, um, we begin to see some of the very dark secrets of what Satan can do. And we are in a spiritual battle, whether we want to admit it or not. We are in a spiritual battle There are people who would not like to see Community Baptist Church succeed. There are people who would not like to see the Baptist Mission succeed or any other of the Christ-loving ministries that go on in this town. To the point that there is actually spiritual warfare going on. And if we allow that to mix with our Christian belief we will not be able to hold on until the end. We live in a world where Christianity is not the dominant culture. Some say it once was. I'm not sure it ever was the dominant culture. Uh, In the United States, uh, let alone anywhere else in the world, we know that when Christianity came to Europe, it became an institution. When it came to the United States, it became a business. But uh, there's a temptation to allow the culture of the world to dictate our belief system. We look at what's going on, we read the papers, we hear what people say, we hear what the politicians are doing, and our attention is driven to lessen our stand, our commitment to what we believe so that we will be politically correct with the agenda of the world around us. Well, what we need to remember is we are citizens of God's kingdom. It's not about race. It's not about gender, ethnicity, political correctness. It's about Jesus Christ. And That was a message that was brought by John to the church at Ephesus. He said, don't lose your passion for Jesus Christ. But to these two churches, there's something else that you need to keep just as active as your love for Jesus Christ. And that's the centrality of the scriptures to everything that we do. Earlier in the year, about midway through this interim uh, process, we sat down and took a real deep look at the Constitution for Community Baptist Church. And one of the decisions we made as we revised it, we said where we don't, uh, where it conflicts with the scripture we're not going to let that happen, that the Scripture is going to be the final say in what the Constitution will look like for Community Baptist Church. And, um, it, and it does. Scripture is, is first. And that's what is being said to these two churches. The centrality of the Scripture is just as important as the centrality of the love of Jesus Christ. Remember the instructions Jesus is presented as the one holding the double-edged sword. Tells the church in Pergamon that he's going to fight them to hold the beliefs against Christianity. He's going to fight them with the words of his mouth. The scriptures. The very scriptures that we have been given. Now, The scriptures have not evolved that I know of. I think they were correct and right and true when they came to us. But my perception of the scriptures have changed over time. As a child, I remember going to vacation Bible school and learning a psalm, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Simple little verse. Catch you a little tune that goes with the chorus that goes along with that. We could all sing it. I think we all know it. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I didn't really know what that meant, but I sure could quote the verse because it was a memory verse for one of the days of that vacation Bible school. In fact, even Steve Foreman has probably used it as a memory verse over there at, at summer camp in the mission, I'm sure, at some point in time. But then another verse... Came uh, shortly after, maybe another year of Vacation Bible School. I was—I don't think I was a Vacation Bible School addict, but it was such that my mother would put me in different schools because I needed childcare. Uh, not that anybody does that here. Uh, but Psalm one nineteen eleven: Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Well, all of a sudden now, the the word of God is not just a light unto my path, it's now a barrier against sin. It tells me the right, not just the path, the light on the path, but it tells me what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, where I'm going against the Lord. Now, it's taken me years to really understand that, but there was a Just another level of what the scripture meant. We come to Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The scripture, the same word used to describe Jesus in Revelation, is used right here. The scriptures, a double-edged sword, able to pierce into the heart, able to convict us. It judges our thoughts, the attitudes of our hearts. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. One of the Descriptions of Jesus in Revelations 2 is, is his eyes are like a blazing fire. Just think of, think, think of Peter at the cross when he denied Jesus the third time. And Jesus' eye caught Peter's eye. And how piercing that was to Peter's heart to know that what Jesus said was true about his own personhood. That he would deny Jesus Christ what God says can be right down into the very deepest part of our soul. If you look at Second Timothy 3.10, Paul's final charge to Timothy, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. But as for you, Timothy, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work see the church that John was writing to with the words of Jesus was letting other things come in rather than letting the scriptures guide the process and be the truth that sustained them all scripture is God breathed it's useful there are times I didn't think it was useful there were times when I felt like, God, you're saying, no, I'm not, I'm not giving up that. Or God, I'm not going in that direction. Or God, I don't, just don't understand this. And um, it's, it's, it's out of my reasoning. But nevertheless, the Scriptures are good. And we must stay true to those just as we stay true to the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that we have the picture of the throne of Satan sitting in the midst of the city of Pergamum. The Scriptures tell us about the throne of God in Hebrews. Just after what the writer of Hebrews says about the Scriptures and the truth and the veracity of the Scriptures, this is said just four or five verses later uh, in the next chapter. Remember, the throne of Satan sitting in Pergamum. Therefore, since we have a high, great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is able to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne. Let us then approach God's throne throne. Satan's throne is all around us and the only way to find safety is to approach God's throne with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We find it at the throne of God and who's sitting there with God right now is Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us as the great high priest. I titled this message, what did I title this? Turn up your hearing aids. Well, I actually put mine in this morning, um, which is unusual for me. The reason I titled that, I guess, at the time when Catherine had to have the uh, bulletin information was I kept pinging into this statement that said to each of these churches, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We have been given authority. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. It's interesting that in the midst of this, that to the church who survives in this setting Jesus compares the manna from the old testament the bread as he says in the new testament Jesus made the connection between the manna Moses day and his own provision of salvation i am the bread of life your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness yet they died but here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die i am the living bread that came down from heaven Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The manna that stained the Israelites during their time in the wilderness was a foreshadowing of the very sacrifice of Christ. And the man I mentioned in Revelations chapter 2, verse 17, is yet another reference to the living Jesus Christ, the one who sustains us day in and day out. In Revelations chapter 2, verse 7, we talked a little bit about last week. The Lord promises to give them, allow them to eat of the tree of life. We talked about what they lost in the garden and what they get back in the book of Revelation. They're allowed to eat of that tree of life and live eternally. In Revelation 2:17, he promises to give them this hidden manna, but in a few verses, actually in the next chapter, we see that this image of food that sustained the Israelites, that food, that Jesus became the manna for us to sustain us. He is, when you get to the third chapter, one of the last churches of this section on the churches, Jesus promises a feast for all of us. For he stands at the door. He says, I behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens and invites me in, I will come in and dine with him. It's not just manna in the desert. It's not just the sustainment day by day. But we will feast with our Lord forever in heaven. From last week, the church in Ephesus, we must keep our passion for Jesus Christ. But part of keeping that passion for Jesus Christ is staying true to the Scriptures and not allowing it to mix with other philosophies and belief systems just so that we can be in this world. Because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And the dominant culture in the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ and all of his people. If you do not know Jesus Christ, I welcome you to come to know him. I invite you to come to know him. It's easy. It's simple. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is knocking on the door. If anyone would open that door and invite Him in, He will come in, and there will be a feast. Not just manna in the desert, but a feast. Let's also Keep true to the instruction book. It's a good one. And it's not just pictures. It's a good one. Now I invite the worship team to come. Let's stand together. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I invite you to come. I'd like to introduce you to him.